I'll tell you what I told first service. When I hear Austin sing, he sings like I think I sing. <laughs> he really, truly does. And uh, what a blessing to have him. Melanie said, no, you don't, after I said that first service. We're in Ecclesiastes chapter 10 this morning, and today is a very practical look at wisdom and folly. As you've noticed, much of the book of Ecclesiastes really is centered on those two topics. Ecclesiastes is part of what we would consider the wisdom literature along with uh, Psalms and Proverbs. And, and, and much like wisdom and folly is part of the Proverbs that Solomon wrote, you see that it really, in the first nine chapters of this book, he has interwoven the topic of wisdom. And he, and he cries out to us as believers in Jesus Christ today to live with wisdom just as it was crying out to those people of God and the Jews of that day that they should live with wisdom. But today is a little different because he really focuses in on the opposite of wisdom. He puts a strong focus on what folly looks like, on what foolishness looks like. Now, if you want to define what a wise man looks like, let me describe him to you, and you're going to see how this fits and falls into the rest of the message today, because obviously we're called in Scripture to seek wisdom. And if we seek wisdom, this is what it looks like. It's the ability to recognize the sovereignty of God. That's where wisdom begins. The beginning of wisdom is fear of the Lord. To know God is to know wisdom. And so that's the starting place for us. The ability to recognize the sovereignty of God. But it doesn't stop there. If we are going to live wise lives, it's not that we just know Him or know about Him. But we must diligently seek Him. If you want to know what a wise person looks like, it's the person like the Apostle Paul that has abandoned anything and everything else in his life because he knows that the greatest treasure he has is this sovereign God. So he dedicates his life to knowing him, diligently seeking God. And lastly, not just the ability to recognize this sovereign God and the diligence to seek him, but what about the humility to honor him? To honor Him in our obedience. All of these things must be taking place for us to live a life of, of wisdom. That we're seeking Him. And once we found Him and we know this Jesus, what the Word of God says. We, I spoke at a funeral just yesterday that Jesus, two days ago, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And the reality for all of us is that when we consider that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father, no one enters into eternal life without Him, it becomes important that we recognize that wisdom is found in these things. Do you recognize the supremacy of Christ in your life? Are you learning His Word? Are you submitting yourself to Him? Because if you're not, then what we are going to look at today is the outflow of a person that doesn't do those things. It's a great description of folly. In fact, we're going to look today and we're going to see that there are three characteristics of fools in this text. And we're also going to see that there are four categories of fools where, where foolishness kind of shows itself in the lives that we live. And when we talk about these categories of fools, it's not that you're going to be in one of them. But chances are that in parts of our life we recognize that we live foolishly sometimes in more than one of these categories. And so today, again, I want you to hold a mirror up to your face, to your heart. I want you to look and to see what it is that God wants to speak to you and what he wants to show you about yourself and about himself. So if you haven't prepared your hearts, do that this morning. As we begin looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 10, remember the greater picture of what we're studying is that without a relationship with God, without knowledge of God, without uh, walking with God, without being obedient to God, all of life is meaningless. And so we live like fools when we live apart from God. And in chapter 10, he starts with a subject that we spoke about 
just a few weeks ago. In fact, we said early on in a message two weeks ago that when we look at this issue of wisdom, when we live wisely, we have a good reputation. He says that our reputation is like perfume. It's meant to be almost like that offering in the Old Testament to God, that, that literally the life that we're living is pleasant to the people around us. That's why we put on cologne. That's why we put on perfume is we won't want people to walk up to us and go, mm, you stink. We want to smell good. We want to be a pleasure to the people around us, right? And he comes back to this topic and he gives the opposite. Because listen to how he begins. He says, dead flies make a perfumer's oil stink. So a little foolishness is weightier than wisdom and honor. Now, that's, that's a tough statement right there. Uh, we would think that wisdom and honor are weightier than foolishness, but, but we'll understand what he means here in just a minute. He goes on and says, a wise man's heart directs him toward the right, but the foolish man's heart directs him toward the left. Even when the fool walks along the road, his sense is lacking, and he demonstrates to everyone that he indeed is a fool. In these first three verses, we see three characteristics of what a fool is. Number one, I mean, you can read this for yourself. I'm just going to say it the way that he said it. A foolish man is a man we recognize him because ultimately his reputation stinks. I don't know about you, what do you want people to say about you? And again, I want you to understand that when we talk about reputation, reputation is, it's, it's meant to be that whatever your reputation is, it is consistent with who you truly are. We live in a day and age where we live so hypocritically that, that really we can have a good reputation at church, but if you were to go home and follow us, our reputation might not be so good. We can have a reputation at church, but we go to your job and we follow you around. And the reality is your reputation may not be so good. That's because most of us choose to live in hypocrisy, which Jesus warns us about over and over. And listen, the fool is known because really his life gives off a stench. And while you may not stink at church, you may stink at work. You may stink at home. You may stink out in the community. Because ultimately, understand that people will see you for what you truly are. And really, when we put on those masks, you know who we're really only fooling? That's the thing about hypocrisy. We're not fooling God. And most times, we're not fooling anybody else around us. And God is telling us that our lives should be consistent, that we don't have secular and sacred. What we have is one sacred life to live for the glory and the honor of God. And our reputation should be consistent with the reality of who we are. That's what we mean when we say reputation. And he says the reputation of a man who is a fool, he says it stinks. And it's interesting because the analogy that he's giving is, you know, you've heard the term of fly in the ointment, right? And what it's saying is that this small little fly, this insignificant thing that has died in the perfume, what he's saying is the potential for the perfume is there, but because you've let foolishness into your life, this one little fly in the ointment now has ruined the batch of perfume. And, and that's what he means when he says a little bit of foolishness is weightier than honor. It's weightier than righteousness. You know what he's basically saying? You need to learn to live your life wisely because for all the righteousness that you live and all the wisdom that you live out, the reality is it takes a lifetime to really build a reputation. You know how long it takes to destroy one? Just seconds. In a moment. And that's why he says that foolishness is weightier just takes a little fly in the ointment. It's that word that you spoke that you didn't need to speak. It's the thing that you did to the person that you didn't need to do. There's things that we know are so hard to take back. It's in that moment that you say or you do something and forever the way people view you is changed. And so he's encouraging us, walk wisely. Don't live as fools because that little bit of foolishness is going to undo a whole lot of righteousness and wisdom 
And he says that, that fools don't realize that. They go through life without thinking. And secondly, he goes on and says that not only uh, is their reputation stinking, but it says their thinking is wrong. I love the way he puts it here because biblically, when we talk about the right and the left, uh, the scripture means very specific things when it says that. You know that when everybody wants to sit at one side of the hand of God, what side do they always want to sit on? They want to sit on the right hand. Nobody ever asked to sit on the left hand. Okay? Uh, you've all used the term before that I can beat you with one hand, what? Tied behind my back, and usually we're saying I can beat you with my left hand, right? Because we think that the right, even though it's not true across the board, we think that the right hand is always dominant. And the reality is, when the Bible speaks of right and left, most times the right, what it represents is it is a place of strength, a place of favor. It's a place of blessing. On the other hand, the left hand was always biblically considered a place of weakness. And so what he's saying here is that when it comes to your life, understand that you have to choose a direction in life. One man can't go two directions. And he says that the fool lives a life going to the left. It always takes him to weakness. It always takes him to destruction. It always takes him to death. When we aren't following God and we're following ourselves or we're following the world or we're following the devil, do you understand that those two paths go very different directions? If you haven't realized it, let me break the news to you. All roads don't lead to the same place. There's a broad road and there's a narrow road. There's a broad and a wide gate and a narrow gate. There's one way to the Father. And folks, the foolish man doesn't realize that he's making choices that are directing his life not towards success. And when I say success, I don't mean worldly success. I mean God's success. I mean that at the end of our life, we can say, God, I did everything that you asked, and I have glorified you in my life, because that's the very reason you were created. I'm saying at the end of your life, it's God, no matter what anybody else says, I live for the moment to hear God say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's all that's going to matter to me at the end, that I have honored and pleased and glorified God. And every decision that we are making leads us towards that or away from that. Their thinking is wrong. They keep choosing the path towards weakness and death and destruction. The wise man keeps choosing life. He recognizes that every choice in life matters and takes us one way or the other. I think the best example that we see in Scripture of it, although it's over and over in Scripture, I love the story of Joshua when he went to take the promised land. God told him, listen, as you're going in and, and, and taking the promise, I want you to be strong and courageous. Strong and courageous. Why? Because God was with him. He knew God. He diligently was seeking God, and he wanted to be obedient to God. And God reminded him, you know what success depends on? One of the few times in Scripture we literally see the word success. You know what it depended on? Him not going right or left to the word of God. You choose God's will. And he says, guess what you will have? Success. Life. The third characteristic of fools, not just that their reputation stinks and their thinking is wrong. But it goes on in verse 3 and says, you know what? You can spot a fool a mile away. <laughs> you ever notice that? You can spot a fool a mile away. The last person to realize they're a fool usually is the fool. He goes on and says, even when the fool walks along the road, his sense is lacking. It says that the things that he do, he does just keeps you scratching your head, and he demonstrates to everyone that he is a fool. You ever in a room with people? And you can just pick it out. You ever in a room full of couples and you watch a husband just berate his wife and criticize his wife and cuss at his wife, belittle his wife, call her names, and you just sit in that room and you know what you're thinking? It's all right to think it. You fool. 
what are you doing? You ever go to a ball game and everybody's enjoying the game, but you got that one crazy parent, that one parent that's ready to fight over first graders playing baseball? And everybody in that place, you know what they're saying? What a fool. The one guy that stands up in a church business. Oh, okay, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but you've been there, right? And it's always obvious. They speak before they think. They don't see themselves as living and breathing to be a blessing to others, but only themselves. And that's where we get to this next list. Because while those are the characteristics of fools that are obvious to us, he goes on and says, let's talk about the categories of fools. And he starts off with foolish rulers. And I think it's wise to start there because I truly believe that as goes uh, the rulers of a country or the rulers of a company, right? The leaders, whatever term that you want to use, the people that have been placed in charge and given great responsibility over a nation, over a company, men over a family. That wherever the leadership is, guess what? That's probably giving you a good picture of where the country is going, the company is going, the family is going, the church is going. You see, we ought to expect a lot out of our leaders. We ought to expect a lot out of our rulers. And he says, if you want to know what a foolish ruler looks like, he gives us it in these verses. He says, if the ruler's temper rises against you, don't abandon your position because, and this is the key, composure allays great offenses. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, like an error which goes forth from the ruler. Folly is set in many exalted places. So it says, now listen, even in exalted places, foolishness exists. Okay, which I don't think any of us have a hard time believing that. While rich men sit in humble places. I have seen slaves riding on horses and princes walking like slaves on the land. Now let me break this down for you. What he's saying is that foolish leaders, what they lack is humility. If you want to know what it means to rule, if you want to know what it means to lead, to be the top of something where now the responsibility lies to you, what God would say to you first and foremost is if you want to lead, you know what the first prerequisite for leadership is? Humility. Well, let me put it another way to you. Until you see yourself as a servant, you'll never actually be a good leader. Let that sink in a second. You know the problem with most rulers today? They think that everybody exists for them. They think that they've been placed there to reap all the benefit and privilege and prestige of leadership, and yet they don't take serious their responsibility to lead the people that they have been placed over. I want you to know that leadership at its core is about the people around you far more than it is about you. You were placed there for the benefit of others. Now I want you to let that sink in a second. Because you see, we're going to either lead pridefully, where everything is about us, or we're going to lead humbly, where we recognize that everything is about God and about others, and then it's about us. You see how vastly different that is from the world today? goes on and says, if a ruler's temper rises against you. See, there's another example of foolish leadership and foolish rulers because they don't just live with a lack of humility. They live in rage and in anger because if we begin to think that everything is about us, the moment we realize the truth that everything isn't about us, then we're going to be like a child who doesn't get their way. And when a child doesn't get their way, what do they do? They throw a tantrum and they rage and they yell. And they scream. And folks, it's not just toddlers that do that.
I want you to think for a minute, what kind of a boss are you? What kind of a parent are you? What kind of a pastor, Sunday school teacher, deacon? If you're in the government, what kind of government official are you? Do you lead humbly, considering others better than yourself? Putting the needs of others before your own needs? Do you live with an overwhelming sense of responsibility for the people around you and their success, that, that this whole thing isn't about your success, but about the greater success that could be had in the lives of other people? Is the business, does it exist for you? Or do you even see the people that make business possible, and do you desire their well-being as much as your own? Because, folks, many of us today struggle to lead well. Uh, we know what it's like to live with a boss who rages. You ever have one of those bosses that literally, when they walk in the room, every employee wants to walk out of the room? That they walk in the room and there isn't even a thought of, you know, hey, they might be coming in to say hello and, hey, what's up and how are you doing? And, and there's going to be this friendly camaraderie. They think if this guy just showed up, what's about to happen? Yeah, he doesn't come to talk to the little people unless he's about to rage. And we know what it's like to live in that environment. It's a crushing environment. And what he says to us is he says, and listen, he gives a little advice to those of us that have to deal with leadership like that. And folks, let's be honest, with, with the government the way that it is, and I don't care who's in charge of it, uh, you see how we have these problems coming from almost every direction in government. Have you seen the lack of civility? No, y'all want to watch TV. Man, y'all have a lot to say it online. Uh, you ain't got nothing to say this morning. It's a mess. Because there's a lack of civility. There's a lack of decency. There's a lack of respect. And, and, and you can't lay it at the feet of hardly any one person. But what we would expect is that from the leaders, we want to see more, don't we? We want to see better, don't we? Well, folks, I'm telling you this morning that how we respond when we see people living that way makes as much a difference as the people who are responding that way. You know what can change the heart of people is that when we don't respond in kind. You see, that's the problem is that we are allowing what is happening in Washington it actually falls right into Wendell, and now out of Wendell, Nightdale, and Zebulun, we're spewing forth the same type stuff. When instead, what it says is, you know what he says here? He says that when you run into people like that, and whether it's in your home, or because listen, this can be a wife and a husband, this can be a parent and a child, this can be a pastor and congregants, this can be all of these things, this applies across the board. How do we deal with people who aren't living civilly and with respect? You know what it says? It says, stand your ground on your position, on what's right and what's good, but I want you to see that it doesn't stop there. It says, don't abandon your position, position, but he says, keep your composure. Somebody needs to speak wisdom into the situations, don't they? Well, let me put it another way to you. It doesn't matter if all you do is speak the truth, but you don't know how to speak truth in love. And you can know the right thing. And you can think you're doing the right thing but be doing it in such a wrong way that it invalidates. Remember, a little bit of folly ruins. It's just a warning to you. Just because it's that way above us doesn't mean it should be that way where we are. And we've got to choose and find a better way. In fact, I would encourage most of you, we give a whole lot of time on just railing against anybody and everybody online, you know what you ought to do? You ought to take 10 minutes and actually write a caring, concerned letter to our president and our congressmen and our congresswomen and our elected officials to let them know that they are prayed for 
and that we don't agree with the way that they're leading and the things that they're saying and the things that they're doing, but we want them to know that we respect their office and we want to respect them and we can simply ask of them. Most of us have said anything and everything. It's the way we mostly deal with problems. We are happy to tell everybody but the person we're mad at how we feel. And he goes on and says, they lack humility. They live with rage and with anger. Says that they lack self-control. And they surround themselves with fools. A fool probably is going to surround himself with fools. You know why? Because we don't want to surround ourselves with wisdom if we are foolish because their wisdom becomes like light shining into darkness and men would rather be in their darkness than have light shining on them. And so that's one of the great tragedies. It's how we recognize foolish leadership is many times they surround themselves with fools. They bring people into positions of authority that shouldn't be there. And that's what he means when he says they lead the slave on the donkey and yet they, they let the prince walk. It's just giving the impression and the idea that the person that should be in position isn't in position because the leader doesn't have the wisdom to surround himself with qualified, humble Servant-hearted men. And then secondly, he gets into foolish workers. Foolish workers. This is a very practical part of this lesson because he says, you know, whether you're leading or whether you're working, you still need wisdom. Wisdom has a very practical place in our life day by day. And every decision that we make, we need to think about wisdom and folly because, listen, without wisdom, we can even hurt ourselves, can't we? And the most simple, mundane things that we do, we need wisdom, not just for the big decisions, but even the small decisions. If we're the leader of the company or if we are a worker within that company, we all need wisdom. Because right here, he gets very, very practical. I saw myself in a few of these. The foolishness that goes on with your pastor. In verse 8, he says, listen, if you're not careful, he who digs a pit, guess what happens? He falls in it. Okay, we would say, how careless do you have to be to dig a hole and then fall in said hole? But we do that, don't we? <laughs> and he goes on, he doesn't quit there. I love his illustrations. He says, and a serpent may bite him who breaks through the wall. So it says we get so busy just busting down and, and just trying to get the work done that we're not paying attention to the surroundings and what's happening around us. And we break through the wall not realizing there's a viper right there that bites us. Okay, And then he starts to get personal with me. He says, he who quarries stones may be hurt by them. And he who splits logs may be endangered by them. Some of you out there are thinking, could you be endangered by a log? I can testify, you can be endangered by a log. How many of y'all know I like to cut trees down? I love to cut trees down. I mean, I've cut like 50 trees off my property. And I don't know, it's a good stress relief. Uh, people drive by and say, did you have a bad day? Because I'm out there just wearing out a stump or something. You know what I mean? And so one day I was out there, I cut down all these trees, and I was in my backyard, and I, I have a great splitter axe thing that I bought. And it, re it works really well. And when the wood's really green, you know, it just takes a few whacks sometimes to get through it. And this one time, Randy Keats had told me, he said, Aaron, when you're out there with wood, chainsaws, whatever, he says, you have to. And see, here's a man trying to speak wisdom into my life. You need to put glasses on. He told me about the time he, like, almost messed his eye up because he didn't. He said, you need to have glasses on and you need to wear gloves because you could really hurt yourself without those gloves and wear steel-toed shoes. So I went out there that day, and guess what I had on? None of those three things. <laughs> Why? Because I thought I was smart enough. I thought I was good enough. I, I listen, I, I just thought so highly of myself. I went out there with this axe, and I mean, literally, it was like the third log out of like 40 I was going to split that day and stack. I hit this log as hard as I could, and I mean, it wedged in there, and it, it caught a knot. It was a pine log. And man, it caught that knot, and I could not get that, that axe head out of there. And I'm sitting here thinking, what do I do? What do I do? There's nobody else there. And I, you know, I'm just stupid when it comes to this stuff. I am a fool when it comes to, to tree work, right? And I can't believe Mel let me cut down that many trees so close to our house. But anyways, that's another story. As I'm sitting there trying to get this axe head out, I literally finally get it starting to where it's wedging out, and I'm putting pressure on it and trying to leverage it. And when that thing finally moved and came out, somehow my left hand was close enough to that log and the split in that log 
that when it finally came out, my thumb was in between the two parts of that log. And I'm t- I kid you not, that log closed up on my hand like I had never split it a millimeter. Now, I don't have a glove on, so I can't pull it out because I feel like I'm yanking all my skin off every time I try. I can't talk. I can't breathe. My first instinct was, like, like they're going to help me. Where's Mel and the girls? I mean, they wouldn't know what to do anyways because I didn't know what to do. And, and nobody's home. Suddenly nobody's there. I'm thinking, well, thank God I live beside a police officer. So I run next door to Henry's house. On my hand, I'm carrying a 25-pound log. Now, this was after 10 minutes of yelling, screaming, like a girl, everything, okay? I, I don't even know if I said bad words. There was nobody there. Only Jesus knows. I don't know what happened. It was bad. And I'll go to Henry's. Henry's not there. Then the Lord puts in my head, hey, you know what? you got a fireman that lives right behind you. I went back to the fireman. Guess what? He's not home. And I'm thinking, can I drive a car with a 25-pound log on my hand? And thankfully, I thought, there's a guy across the street. And, and this guy is great. He always is helping all of our neighbors. And uh, this guy, he's fantastic. And when I went over there, um, literally, he's the sweetest man. I, I went and I knocked on his door. And I said, listen, brother. I said, and, and it was more like, listen, brother. Okay, it was more like that. I, I tried to sound manly, and I know I didn't. And he looked down, and he saw it on my thumb, and he says, oh, my goodness, pastor. He knows I'm a pastor. And he says, oh, my goodness, pastor, i got to help you. And I said, please, please help me. And he says, what do you need? And I said, crowbar. And you got a crowbar. Because, I, I, I mean, I had a crowbar, but I couldn't figure out how to. I, I said, I just need a crowbar. And l- what, was, what was really funny is he literally, when I said I need a crowbar, he had a crowbar by his door. So don't break into his house because that's where he keeps his crowbar. And he literally grabs it and says, I have one right here. And as he started to open it, man, the, the relief when that thumb came out and then the disbelief when it slipped and it snagged it again. Okay, and so literally, if you think a log can't hurt you and that you don't have to work wisely, don't be a fool, okay? That's the moral of the story. And guys, literally, we have, uh, we need, if I had just listened to Randy, you know what I'm saying? If I had just done what, wisdom is no good to us, knowledge is no good to us until we put it into practice, and folks, it matters, unless you want to be the fool of Wendell carrying around a 25-pound log, use wisdom. It's true. I need a blessing, Aaron. Thank you. Foolish workers, they're careless. They're clueless. They're overconfident. You see all this? And the most simple, mundane things. He goes on to speak about the man who literally, he says, if the axe is dull and you don't sharpen its edge, edge, you must exert more strength. That's the work smarter, not harder, right? That even a fool doesn't realize that if he would just sharpen the axe blade, he would get the work done ten times more quickly than sitting there using the dull axe, having to expend all of his energy and sweat equity into this job that could be done so much quicker. And then he finishes with the serpent. He says, and if the serpent bites before being charmed, there's no profit for the charmer. You have the image of of a guy in India sitting down, right, and playing the music and and trying to charm the snake. He says, if you're not careful, if if you are so overconfident, if you are, are, are so unwilling to think through and use wisdom in the most mundane things, he says that literally, he says, what good is it to be a charmer if before you even start charming, you get bitten he says they're careless they're clueless they're overconfident folks i would say this and i know it because i am one of them our churches can be filled with bible believing people who have mangled their lives because they didn't use wisdom it doesn't matter how much bible we know it's meaningless if we don't use what we know thirdly foolish talkers if i hadn't hit you yet and i'm about to hit you right now okay I told you that we're going to see ourselves in all of these things. And this is one that applies to all of us. He talks about foolish talkers. He goes on and says in verse 12, Words from the mouth of a wise man 
are gracious. If you want to know what wisdom looks like with words, he says that our words, and this carries out biblically throughout the Old and New Testament, that words that God would have us use are words that are gracious. Grace-filled words. All of us need grace. All of us need grace-filled words. Aren't you glad that people don't say everything to you that you deserve to have said to you? Let that sink in. Could you imagine living life where you say everything that you think and everything that another deserves? And that sounds great when you're the one getting to say it. It doesn't sound so good when you look back and realize you're going to be the recipient of it. That's why it tells us, you know what, we should treat others how? The way that we ourselves would want to be treated because none of us would want to walk through life like that. And he says that the wise, they use words that are, that are gracious. We have to choose gracious words. Gracious words aren't going to just flow out of us because we are beings that are wrapped up in feelings and emotions. And because we're wrapped in flesh, sometimes those feelings and emotions, they aren't right and they aren't good and they aren't helpful. And, they, and listen, many of you sit back and say, I wish I had a superpower. You do have a superpower. Your words are a superpower. With your words, you can destroy a person's life. Just as sure as if you had x-ray eyes or like I-beam eyes or whatever you call them. Just as sure as if you had all the strength in the world. Understand that your words, they give direction to people's lives. What you say in many ways determines the outcome, not just of your life, but the life of the person that you're speaking to. Keep calling your kids stupid and guess what they're going to end up being? They're going to live up to your expectations. Keep berating the employees and telling them how sorry they are. And what you're going to find is they lose any reason to do anything that honors and pleases you or helps you because you treat them so horribly with the words that you speak and they will become useless to you. And then they will be unemployed. And then look what you've done to this person's life. You have directed with your words. If you don't believe it, that's what James means. When we talk about words and, 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 and the power of words, James is the best place to go because the points that we're talking about here is you have to realize that foolish talk, it's destructive, it's unreasonable. Foolish talkers, they are uncontrolled and they are boastful. Let that sink in a second. Words can be used to create or destroy. Words can absolutely be used in a way that are so unreasonable that no one wants to listen to what it is that you're saying. And folks, when it comes to words, doesn't James tell us that they're to be controlled? If you remember, James starts in James chapter 3. He says that the tongue is an unruly evil. He, he's telling you that it is something that as a believer in Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you have to learn to gain control of your tongue. You know why he says that? He says because there's things about the tongue that you don't realize unless you stop and think about it. He says that the tongue is like a spark that sets a forest on fire. Literally, get the image of a guy driving through California in the dead of summer, and he has a cigarette in his hand. He rolls down his window, and what does he do? He just flicks it out. Has he thought anything? Did he do it on purpose? Not necessarily. Now, he did something foolish, and he did something unwise because he's not aware of his surroundings. He's not aware of the fact that they're telling people, don't start fires, don't flick your cigarettes out the window, but he just does it. And what he doesn't realize is that spark, that one moment that seems so insignificant to him, is what begins a fire that burns down billions in property. That took the life of firefighters that tried to stop the fire. He says, that's what words are like, a spark. You say it, and you haven't even thought about the ramifications of what you just said. I always like to use the imagery of a bow and arrow. I heard it years ago that words are, when we think about it, 
we have this, this arrow in our hand, these words that are, that are in our mouth. And the thing about an arrow is, I understand we think things. I understand that emotions come to the surface. And we have a moment where we will either be controlled and self-controlled, or else we will just make foolish decisions to just let our tongue be unruly. And in that moment, when you draw a bow back, you're so mad, you're determined to say it, you have that moment while you are aiming at that person. Because understand, when you say ugly things, you do intend to hurt them. You have that moment where you're trying to think, what can I say that's going to hit them in the heart? I want to take them down. I want to end the debate. I want to end the argument. I don't want them to say one more word, so I'm going to say whatever it takes to shut them up. And we are, we've got the bow pulled, and we are aiming for the heart. At that moment, that is your last moment to show wisdom because the moment you let go of that arrow what can you never do you cannot grab it again and whatever you aimed at guess what you just hit it and if you meant to kill them you just did if you meant to shut them up you may have just shut your spouse up for the rest of her life and she may not want to talk to you one time again because of what you just said to her. You may say something that your kids never get over and any respect they had for you just left the building. And he goes on in James, you know what he says? Words are like a rudder. You can have this big container ship that is millions of tons of weight. And you have this little piece of metal on the back of the boat that is pretty much flat and isn't impressive. It looks like nothing. And you think to yourself, how important. If we were to take the rudder and just lay it on a table, you would not think that this could have any significance to how this ship operates, that, that, that what could it possibly do in the scope of this massive ship? You know what it does? It actually gives direction to the entire ship. And so he's telling you, you know what your words do? If you don't believe it, then go into work tomorrow and go cuss your, your boss out. You know what's going to happen, right? You just chose a course. Your mouth just chose a course for you. You now are unemployed. Your mouth just took you a direction. Play that out over every word that you're going to speak tomorrow. And understand that it's not just your actions that take directions. I would say that more than your actions, your words have the greatest potential to steer your life. And he says, don't be a foolish talker. Recognize the power of words. Don't be destructive. Don't be unreasonable. Unreasonable, that's the person. If you, if you notice, he goes on and says, words of the, from the wise man are gracious while the lips of the fool consume him. In the, in, uh, I'm sorry, the beginning of his talking is folly. The end is wicked madness. He says that, that he just won't be quiet. He, just, he starts saying things that aren't right, but the more he talks and the more he puts his foot in his mouth and the more words that get spoken, we go from just being a little foolish, but he won't let go. He won't stop and listen. I've had so many moments like that in my life. Where I, have, you ever, have you ever been at a place where you can see yourself going down a path but you can't stop? You know what I just said was stupid. And rather than stopping at that point, have you ever noticed they say something back? And rather than going, okay, you see how unreasonable you get? And then you double down. And then they double down. And then you're like, you know what, this is going to end with me on the couch. And they double down, so you triple down. You ever see yourself do that? He's saying it's the unreasonableness of folly. He says, you recognize a man of folly because he uses a lot of words. He says, usually the person that is foolish, he's the one that never listens but always speaks. He says, the fool multiplies words. No man knows what will happen and who can tell him and what will come after him. The toil of a fool 
so, wor- so wearies him that he doesn't even know how to get to the next city. He says that the words are uncontrolled and the words are so boastful. That a foolish man thinks he's so right all the time. He says, you know what the reality is? Everybody around him knows that he thinks he knows everything, but he doesn't know anything. And he actually just uses a play on words here. He says he thinks he knows where he's going in life, but the reality is he can't find his way to the next city. And back in that day, it wasn't like a million roads. It was like if I'm going from here to here, there's one road to get here to here. But he's saying the guy's so foolish, he doesn't even know how to get there when there's just one option. Folks, that's not who we want to be as believers. And then he finishes with foolish leaders. We talked about rulers, those people that really have the place of, uh, of, of leading in, in the truest sense. But he says all of us in other ways, while we may not lead a corporation, a church, a, a family, or, or one of those other things that we talked about, he says that how we lead and how we live out in leadership with people around us matters even if we're not on that, that top segment of leadership. Because he goes on, and, and here's what he says. He says, Woe to you, O land, whose king is a lad, whose princes feast in the morning. What he's saying is, and, and what's interesting, in the book of Isaiah, it literally says that God many times curses a nation by giving them a child king. A king who's not ready. A king who isn't able. Most times we use that term, a young king, and he uses the term lad because he's talking about literally not a man, not a young man, but, but as if everything important to the government has just been entrusted to an eight-year-old. They don't have the ability, the wisdom to know and understand. He says that there are times that literally, woe to a, a city, woe to a country that has a person in leadership that may as well be a child in their ability to lead. He goes on and says, the princes feast in the morning. It means that they live like children. Life's a party. Everything's a party. If you notice when you get up in the middle, in the, in the morning, if you're going to plan to have a party at some time, when do you plan it? You plan it at the end of the day. After the work is done, you have responsibilities, right? There are things that need to be taken care of. And then in the evening, sure, you can come back. You can relax. You can enjoy family. You can enjoy friends. But he says, these people don't know the difference. They just live as if life is one big party. Never taking life serious. Never taking responsibility for the things that matter. He says, blessed are you, O land, whose king is of nobility and whose princes eat at the appropriate time for strength and not for drunkenness. Through indolence, the rafters, Sag and through slackness the house leaks. What he's saying there is, what happens to your house when you don't take care of it? Yeah, he's saying you're so busy just messing around in life that you haven't taken care of the things that need to be taken care of. To me, I mean, here's a great picture of it. It's the 40-year-old man who plays Xbox for 24 hours a day. There you go. You know what I mean? He's got kids that need his attention. He's got a wife that needs his attention. He's got a house that needs his attention. And we get so focused on things that don't matter. and We don't have the wisdom to choose the right things, the best things, that we end up just going through life wasting time and opportunity. And all around us it says you're sitting in the house, a good illustration is playing Xbox while the roof's about to cave in on you. And he goes on and says, men prepare a meal for enjoyment and wine does make life merry and money is the answer to everything. That's the attitude of a fool. He says money isn't the answer to everything. Drunkenness isn't the answer to everything. Life isn't just one big party. We have to know the things that we are responsible for in this life, can we say with Jesus that at the end of the day, because I don't know about you, here's where wisdom and foolishness comes in and, and, and really settles. At the end of our life, are we going to be like Jesus where we say, God, you created me to glorify you, and I have glorified you in this, and that everything you've asked me to do, I've done it. 
Can you say that? Think about what God has asked you to be and to do as a husband, as a father, as a boss, as a Christian, in, in missions and in ministry, and He's given you gifts and abilities. And, and are you doing those things, or are you just sitting back saying, well, you know, I sure would like to you know, be involved in the kingdom, but, you know, I mean, everything's on Sunday, and I just like the races. Well, everything's on Sunday, and, I, you know, I mean, we got a, a lake house, and we got a boat, and, you know, I mean, we've gotta, we gotta, we got to do those things. And, you know, I sure wish I had time to serve. I would love to serve. I don't know about you. I want to stand before Jesus one day knowing and being confident and saying, I did everything that you asked me to do. And I don't know about you, but unless you're reading the Bible upside down, I don't see all the time where our priorities look a lot like his priorities. doesn't mean there's not a time to go fishing and a time to play golf. But when it gets in the way of things that he says, oh, these are priority, these are musts, then it begins to be a problem. And he says, don't live foolishly like that. He says, life isn't just about having fun. It's about taking the responsibilities that have been handed to us. Furthermore, in your bedchamber, he says, do not curse a king. And in your sleeping rooms, do not curse a rich man, for a bird of the heavens will carry the sound, and the, of the, and the winged creature will make the matter known. What he's saying is if you want to be a good leader, if you want to be a leader among leaders, if you want to be sure that you're being used by God to lead and do what needs to be done, he says you need to be sure that first and foremost that you are loyal. Wisdom demands loyalty. I've got news for you. Whoever is leading you, they're not going to do it always right. Do you have the courage to be loyal to them? To go to them and to say, hey, brother, I don't know if you realize it, but you kind of missed the boat here. Or is what you're going to do, you're going to take advantage to let everybody know how dumb they are and how bad they missed it and how, you know, if I was in position, you know what, if I was the one leading, if I wasn't down here leading on this level but that level, we wouldn't be dealing with that stuff. You know what he's saying? He said, that's how a fool lives. He says, because what you don't realize is, you ever hear the statement, a little birdie told me? That's where it comes from. And he says that while you aren't loyal, there are going to be people around that man or that woman that are loyal, and guess what's going to happen? You're going to be exposed for what you are. When we talk about foolish leaders, they are indulgent, concerned with what they get from their position, not what they give. They live it up at others' expense. They want the privilege, but they don't want any of their responsibility, and they never use their privilege to raise up others. I love what Woodrow Wilson said. He said, a friend of mine says that every man who takes office in Washington, D.C. does one of two things. He either grows or he swells. Let that sink in a second. He either grows or he swells. There's room for growth in leadership. All of us have got to recognize how we have to grow in the way we talk and the way that we lead. We have to own our mistakes and do all the things that wisdom demands. But listen, for many of us, unfortunately, we don't grow near as much as we swell with leadership. Never forget you were placed there to lead people. Foolish leaders are incompetent. Don't thrust someone into leadership before they're ready. But Oswald Chambers balances it well because he recognizes that it's not just about age. He said spiritual maturity is not reached by the passing of years, but by obedience to the will of God. Spiritual maturity is not reached by the passing of years, but by obedience to the will of God. He says, foolish leaders are indifferent. They eat all they can. They enjoy all they can. They just want to get all they can. But they are indifferent to the responsibilities of their office and the needs of the people that God has placed under them. And fourthly, we said that they are indiscreet. They lack loyalty. Folks, I want you to know we hit it a little bit ago with where we are with Washington. I want to remind you, church, I'm not going to be a good pastor unless I remind you. 
We all in this room disagree about our politics, I'm sure. But I want you to know that the Bible demands of us as believers in Jesus Christ that we respect the offices that are in front of us. Whether it's the president, whether it is the congressmen and women, whether it is the state legislature, we are doing ourselves no service by being so highly critical. We would do better to put down our iPads and our phones and pray than to sit back and to do what we are doing. If we are not careful, we will burn the mission field that is front of us through our politics. Stop it. It has to stop. I'm not telling you to abandon your position. I'm telling you to speak truth in love. And if you can't speak it in love, then don't speak it. If you want to make a difference, talk to people. Right here, face to face. Because until we get to that point, we are going to continue to struggle as a nation. The scripture tells us beyond any shadow of a doubt that even if we can't respect the person in office, we must respect the office. And the scripture says, you shall not revile your God nor curse a ruler of your people. Are we going to live godly or not? Because if we're not careful, we are burning the mission field. For what? Politics? If you want to do something that's going to make a difference in this world, live out your faith and watch what you say. Let your light shine. That's what will make the difference. Lift up Jesus. If you'd spend half as much time talking about Jesus as the president, we'd probably be a lot better off and a lot further. But church, make sure that we are living lives of wisdom. Are you wise in the way that you rule? Are you wise in the way that you work? Are you wise in the way that you talk? Are you wise in the way that you lead? I want to go back to what I said in the beginning as Kevin comes. I want you to remember that you know where wisdom is. It begins with your ability to identify the supremacy and the sovereignty of God in your life. And it continues as you diligently seek Him, to know Him, to love Him, to walk with Him, to abide with Him. That it's one thing to say you know Him, it's another thing to walk with Him, and it's yet another thing to seek to honor Him with your life of obedience. Because if you do those things, then you're going to live a life of wisdom. But you have to decide, are you living for you or for Christ? Is it your will or his way? Which is it? How much time have you given to your relationship with Christ? And for all the knowledge you have up here, is it showing itself in the way you talk to your family, your employees? The way that you speak at church? The way you live? Let God speak to you today, church. Let him have his way in your heart today. Because I need you to hold a mirror up the way I had to hold a mirror up this week and to figure out where am I living like a fool in this life. And trust me, there were other places besides the fact that I got stuck with my thumb in a log. I wish that was the worst of it. Do you have the courage to look honestly into the mirror? Father, we thank you for your word. It, it, it speaks to us. It challenges us. It, it cuts to the depth of who we are. And Lord, we can't hide from the light that is your word. So Father, I pray today that we would not seek to walk out of this place unchanged. But Lord, as Kevin plays the piano this morning, that, that we, would, we would spend time reacting to what you've said. Lord, we don't want to leave this place and only be concerned about lunch or be concerned about the meeting afterwards. Lord, we want to be concerned about what you just said to us. So, Lord, as you have spoken, give us this chance to respond, to repent, to turn the direction that you would have us to go. And, Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom. For, Lord, we 
need wisdom today. And Lord, you are the only source of it because you are wisdom. So Father, help us to know you in the fullness of who you are. And God, if there's someone here that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior today, may they give their life to you. May they pray to confess their sins and believe that you died and took their sins from them. May you, may you believe that you were raised again. And Lord, may they surrender today to follow you with their whole heart, to choose your way above any other way. And God, if they pray, you will hear them. So Lord, today we lift up our voices in prayer to you in Jesus' name. Amen.